1: Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast.
0: Hey, Brave Makers. Tony Gapastone here. And I am solo in the Brave Maker studios today because Rebecca is out traveling. Rebecca Mosa, my co-host, is not here. And Jessica Musgrave, who is the producer of the podcast as well as of the Brave Maker Film Festival. Uh, is working her normal day job as one has to do to make ends meet. So I have to do this by myself today. Why? Because we are cranking out a lot of things. We're going to be releasing this on April 29th. And this is the eighth episode of the Brave Maker podcast. And we have a lot of things coming up. Specifically, we have an event on April 30th. That would be tomorrow. So if you're listening to this after April 30th, you missed it, sorry. But this is a free event happening at the Fox Theater. If you're listening to this by chance on the 29th of April or the 30th before six o'clock, get your tickets as soon as possible, bravemaker.org. And it is the film called The Sentence by filmmaker Rudy Valdez. We are like, really excited to have him. He's coming from New York to be with us, to have our conversation on criminal justice reform and hear about how he made this film. He made the film out of basically necessity to help his sister. His sister, Cindy, was incarcerated under um, drug uh, conspiracy, and she was basically unjustly incarcerated. She shouldn't have got the length of sentence that she did, and he advocated for her and... It's an amazing story because she had three daughters. And she was actually uh, remarried at the time. It was her former boyfriend that was the drug dealer, which of course she knew, but she wasn't actually selling the drugs. A very complex case, and that's why it's called The Sentence. So we invite you to come out to that. It's free, and it's in partnership with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which we are so grateful to have that partnership to put on this film screening. In the Fox Theater, which is Redwood City's iconic and biggest theater. It's beautiful inside and great sound and screen. And there's free food and free adult beverages. So come at 6 p.m. the doors open for a light informal reception with a DJ and some music by a uh, formerly incarcerated person, or uh, excuse me, art. Some art. There'll be an art exhibit with step and repeat and all that kind of stuff. So join us. So this episode, episode number eight, If you listen to episode number seven with Andre Henry, he is an anti-racist pro-activist. I really loved my conversation with him, but we connected him with two other women who are advocates in the race and bias and gender space uh we had anna Avendano, who's a great friend her and her husband rafael live in redwood city and they do great work with youth and latino the latino community uh, i really love their work and their advocacy, advocacy <laughs> their advocacy uh anna is a chicana born in the bay area she was raised you know between the American and Latin space in Michoacan, Mexico, where her um, family is from, and just figured out how to shape her identity, you know, as living as an American who's uh, a Latina, this is a, a difficult space to, to be in, Not let alone that she was a Latina, but she is a Latina, but that she's a woman. And she's working in nonprofit space. She's a professor at a co- local college. She's got a degree in ethnic studies and a um, uh, master's in Mexican-American studies and this girl's working on her doctorate right now. She's going to be a doctor, crazy, working on human rights <clears throat> at the University of San Francisco, education and human rights. So she's got a lot of great things to say. We partnered her with Robin Hauser, who is a filmmaker in the San Francisco area. And Robin is actually traveling the world with this documentary called Bias, which is all about how we have these unconscious biases on race and gender. And she did a whole documentary about it. So we had a packed house Uh, back in March here of 2019. And we four talked about that. So the beginning goes like right into it because we had to uh, flip the switches and all that kind of stuff pretty quickly. So we cut off a little bit of the beginning. That's why I'm giving you all this backstory to who everyone is. So Robin Hauser, filmmaker, unbias, Ana Avendano, who is a future doctor of ethnic and uh, education and human rights studies. And then we have Andre Henry, who is a black advocate. So great panel and me. What am I doing there? I don't know. I'm just trying to ask questions and learn. That's why I started Brave Maker. I needed to learn about diversity and inclusion, and I love film, and I wanted to mix all the things in between. So Have a great listen. Oh, don't forget, go to BraveMaker.org. By the way, we have BraveMaker.com and BraveMaker.org, but I'm emphasizing the .org lately because I want people to remember we are a nonprofit organization. We cannot do this work without the generous donations of corporate sponsors and individuals and families. So thank you to all of our sponsors. We are so grateful for all the work that you are allowing us to do. And don't forget, we have May 13th, Fight Cancer with Film, a Monday night documentary called Love Always Mom with a stage four cancer survivor who got a surrogate to birth her son and did videos for him, not realizing she would actually survive to see him. Beautiful, heart-wrenching story in which she will be present to talk about. And our film festival is coming up. Oh my gosh. It is so crazy. It's coming up. It's like five weeks away. BraveMaker.org for all your tickets. You can buy uh, a pass for three days of food and parties and panel discussions. We've got Alex Ferrari coming from Indie Film Hustle. We've got the um, Mo- Making Movies is Hard podcast host, uh, Samiat and Ulrich going to join us on our kickoff. we got a magician, Rich Ferguson, who's got a short film about his life. He's going to be performing at the kickoff and VIP event, only available to those with all-access passes. Oh my gosh, we've got collisions that's going to be uh, screened, and we've got some special actors coming from that film, which we're really stoked about. Oh uh, my, just go and look at all of our all of our films. We have seven feature films that range from on human trafficking to disability inclusion to veganism to the LGBTQ com- community and faith. There's so many options, something for everyone. Alex Ferrari's second feature film on the corner of ego and desire. So many good things. And lots of short films on justice and race and gender. It's so good. It's so overwhelming and stimulating. Overstimulating in a good way. And lots of parties, too. Okay, I'm going to stop talking so you can now listen to the panel on bias.
1: Brave stories change the world. You
2: are the story.
1: you know, who am I to tell this story? And especially, you know, I'm a white privileged woman. I grew up in Pacific Heights, San Francisco. So who am I to tell this story? And if I'm not, if I'm expecting the audience to be vulnerable, then I probably have to be too. So that's, that's how that all happened. And then we tested it a lot. I wasn't convinced that it was how it was going to come across. I was really worried about it, but we we brought in a couple test audiences and, and the very last thing we did was the narration.
0: How many of you have seen Robin's TED Talk that she did in San Francisco? Anybody seen her TED Talk? Okay, one person, awesome. We're going to post, two, two, we're going to post, three, we're going to post it on our Facebook page, which I highly recommend you joining because uh, that was another vulnerable piece of sharing. And I'm just curious, what are you finding as you're sharing the film and sharing your TED Talk? What is happening here in Silicon Valley or wherever? Because a lot of this is all here, Bay Area.
1: Yeah, the TED Talk was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I mean, I, I speak in public a lot, but having to memorize 2,000 words, and they like wordsmith the heck, the, you know, the, the heck out of everything. So a couple of people here were actually in the audience, and they know that I dropped the F-bomb on stage.
0: <laughs> Did <laughs> they censor really you for that?
1: No, they just edited it out. Oh, it was perfect. Okay, okay. Um, no, that, that was a diff, that, that was great experience, but a challenging one. Um, so what was your question? What, what's what it like to be seeing, vulnerable?
0: Well, no, what are you seeing happen here? Because this is a very Bay Area story. I mean, it's an America story. But there's a lot of people from Stanford, from Oakland, people that are being highlighted here in Silicon Valley. Are you seeing any change? Are you seeing any stories of people pulling you aside and saying, hey, I want to do this, but I can't? What's happening with the, the film?
1: Well, the film's being well-received um, by everybody but Netflix, who said that it was too educational for their platform. But, um, <laughs> hey, if there's ever any doubt, they are dumbing it down for y'all. I mean, it's crazy. That is exactly what, what they said. Um, I, I think that um, the film's being really well received. I've had a lot of private corporate screenings. I've had a you know a lot of success at, at film festivals, and so we're really excited. Um, I have to tell you, I was really nervous the very first public screening because I just wasn't sure how it was going to land, and I was just hoping that it was as authentically you know it, it is authentic, but is it really perceived that way? And so. Um, I remember the first time an African American woman came up to me afterwards, and I thought, "Oh no, here it goes." And she said, "Thank you, thank you for being so brave." And I thought, "Wow, okay." I felt, you know, that was a good moment for me. Um, so it's it's been really good. It's a conversation starter, and when I get you know called by a company to say, "Can we come screen it here?" which is actually kind of funny because Netflix hired me to screen it to their employees. Um, True, nice true story, That's true good. story, um, but so when I, when I will, I'll say to them, listen, I, this is a conversation starter, you know, this is a, an alternative to your typical unconscious bias training, not that I set out to make a corporate training video at all, that, that wasn't really my intention, but, we, you know, we couldn't profess to have all the answers, And you're not going to f- cure unconscious bias by, by watching a film, but I hope that it sparks some thoughts, and I know it's changed me, my entire team has changed from having made this film.
0: Uh, I'd love to open up for the audience to ask a question or two as Anna and Andre, our advocates, come and join the panel. But yeah, question, go ahead. I'll repeat the question after you say it. So the question is around what do you think is happening around bias from media, especially when it comes to children? That's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, I I actually blame a lot of this problem. I mean, not not unconscious bias, because we're human. We're all going to have that. But I mean, I do think that a lot of the sort of perceptions that we have in these um, the stereotypes that we have in our society, um, a lot of it stems from social, just from media and um, societal sort of messaging. So I, I think it's a problem. There are groups that are doing work on it. Gina Davis's um, Institute on Gender is doing a lot of research on, on how often, it's kind of interesting, you know, how what often does a woman say something intelligent in a film compared to a man? Um, it's shockingly low. Um, so that's there. She's doing some some really great work on it, and there are a lot of different um, organizations and groups that are beginning to put pressure on on Hollywood and on our Ad Council and stuff, uh, just to try to change stereotypes.
0: I think that's a really fantastic point and question. Uh, To push the podcast that we have in a few weeks, we'll have a podcast conversation with an actor named Mark Willis, who was in Black Panther. He played one of the Jabori Warriors, and he spent two weeks on set, and just talked about his audition process, but one of the biggest things he was saying was that as a black actor who lives in Chicago, so many of the casting announcements that he sees for his demographic are, guess what, thug one, thug two, drug addict. Things that, again, portray these stereotypes of, um, of racial injustice. And so I think you are right on that. That's why Brave Maker is here. We're trying to tell brave stories. We're trying to be really intentional with our diversity inclusion. And I got something hopefully we'll be able to tell you at the end of our uh, time today about a project that we're partnering with, which I'm really excited about. But let's introduce our panelists here who are joining in on the discussion. Anna, would you introduce yourself? And then Andre, would you introduce yourself and tell us about your work and who you are?
2: Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Ana Ángel Avendaño, and I uh, I live here in Redwood City, um, North Fair Oaks. I uh, work at Kenyatta College in the International Student Center. I work as a coordinator there for programs. And uh, in the past, I've also taught uh, a Chicano history class at Ohlone. Um, That's actually what I'm working towards right now is my doctorate in education because I aspire to be um, a professor. And my um, degrees um, include ethnic studies and Mexican-American studies. Um, So that's, I love all this stuff.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Andre. Hi, I'm Andre, and I'm from Los Angeles, or I I live in Los Angeles right now. I'm a writer and speaker, and I'm the program manager for the Racial Justice Institute at the Cider Center for Peace and Justice in Philadelphia. Um, Yeah. So I'd
0: love you two, with Robin, I'd love to hear first your responses, questions, thoughts that came to you as you watched the film. And let's do some dialoguing around that. Any reactions you wanna have? Who wants to start?
2: I think a reaction for me was, um, as I was watching the gender um, gap, I just kept thinking about like, uh, as a Latina woman, one of the comments in the film was how women, we have to work twice as hard. But for me, I was like, I have to work three times as hard. (laughs) And so I was glad to see that you did put that because I was kind of w- wondering is she going to talk about what it's like for women of color because um, yes like for women we have to work twice as hard but then as a Latina um, you know the, we still see the, the facts the most recent like for every dollar we make like 40 cents or something uh, versus white women make about 70 cents so I think that point for me was uh, important to see that in in this film uh, as we talk about gender equality so I just kept bringing that perspective in, in as I was watching the film as the perspective as a a Latina woman.
3: I really appreciated the way that it was made clear that bias is a product of all of these unconscious, all of this unconscious processing that we're doing, right? And I think that when we talk about race, one of the thing and racism and all kinds of different oppressions and things like that, one thing that's hard for people to grasp is that you don't have to be consciously or intentionally prejudiced in order to be a part of systems and structures that harm people because of their identity. So one, one thing that stood out to me in particular was, um, talking about all from the IATs, people's preferences weren't, it was the list straight, male, white, all that kind of thing. Because that is kind of historically, I mean, there's a whole history behind like this ideal concept of the human you know, that comes out of the enlightenment that we're still working with right now. And it still has effect on people in society today. And so I just really appreciate it though. Yeah.
0: So Andre and Brave Maker have partnered in some video content and uh, he kind of gave me this new phrase where I wasn't really connected to before that I would always say, like, I want to help, you know, people of color. Or I want to uh, advocate or become an ally for people of color. And Andre was saying, we don't need you to help us. (laughs) That actually is even more polarizing and harmful because it's this kind of white savior uh, thing. So I really appreciate that, that you gave that to me. But what you did say was, um, be an Mm anti-racist.
3: Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that well there there are two ideas there, so one is about anti-racism, and I think that a lot of people the way that they handle racism is, well, I'm not racist, <laughs> you know um, because they don't have conscious thoughts about how they hate non-white people, right, or they they don't they don't use racial slurs or something like that, and that's what that means to them, but they're defining themselves by what they don't do. <laughs> by what they think they're not doing, instead of what they are doing. And so an anti-racist is someone who actually has their eyes peeled for racism, even is looking for it, so that they can intentionally root it out of wherever they see it, you know, whether that be in their home or in the workplace or some institution or organization that they work for. So that that was that. And the, the thing about helping is, I think a lot of people think the solution, once they find out about their bias, is, well, now I need to move toward people of color and try to go and and save them from these this thing that is harming them which is can also be really problematic when really when we're talking about white people in this in this situation that they should really turn toward one another turn toward their own communities and look at the ways that they and their neighbors and their families are perpetuating white supremacy how are they participating in defending maintaining that system and encouraging one another to stop doing that you know and that motivation being you know to think about you know one one conversation we have in this in I'm sure you've heard this as as well, is that when you talk about white supremacy, a lot of people go, Well I not me, you know, like my my ancestors or somebody might have owned slaves. I never owned any slaves, you know, that kind of thing. Well well, that's great. You know, great that you didn't do that. However, you're not doing anything to actively break with that tradition. And that really is the motivation. It's not like, oh, those poor black and brown people. I'm going to go help them. That kind of reinforces the same dynamic of like, I'm in this place of superiority where I can reach down and help others rather than saying, I want to do this because I don't want to be a part of a system that harms people. I don't want to be a part of building an unjust world. I don't want to be a part of that kind of problem.
0: Love to hear you too, as women share about that. Cause I think that is something that I took away from the film is this mandate to go, all right, I need to actively seek out gender inequality. Uh, I need to actively seek out this bias that I'm either contributed to or being a passive uh, enabler of. And I wondered if that's something you two could comment on is um, what would you say to someone who's looking to actively become someone who's doing work for this justice and for this equality?
1: Well, if we're talking about gender, um, for instance, you know, a male ally and trying to, and by the way, I think there's a lot of intersectionality in for all sure. of this, so um, I think that's important to recognize that if we're talking about women, we're talking about women of all color and same with men, but um, I, I would like it to be that way anyway. Um, I know historically it hasn't been, but I, I think that um, two things, um, one, if you're thinking about recruiting like male allies, which is something I, I talk a lot about in, in, in companies and stuff. And something that I think is interesting is the difference between, you know, a true male ally is somebody who's willing to stand up and defend women, even if there are no women in the room. And it's sort of the difference between just being aware of women and their, you know, the sensitive issues around that, or being an actual activist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there's There's a difference. And I think that that's hard. I also am fully aware that I do believe that most people, most people, are well intended. Whether it's a man that interrupts and doesn't realize he's doing it, whether it's someone with white privilege that doesn't realize that helping can be taken wrong. So I'd like to start with the, the idea that most of us are well intended. And um, I think it's about education, but it's about getting somebody to look inward so that we realize, you know, what is my responsibility in this? And the difference between Being implicitly biased and being racist is pretty big, right? I think racist has intention behind it. You're intentionally um, considering or treating somebody of color different versus having these. But if the impact is the same, if the result is the same that you're not hiring somebody who's black, then it's doesn't matter almost whether it's an implicit you know, an implicit association you have that's keeping you from hiring somebody, a person of color, or whether it's because you're racist. So that's where it gets tricky. And I think that's where it's, um, you know, awareness is, is obviously the the first step.
2: Um, I, right now I'm taking a course, um, called whiteness, power and privilege. And, um, again, as a Latina woman taking this class, I'm like, well, it's about whiteness. I'm not going <laughs> to, what does it have to do with me? Yeah. And it's actually, it actually has to do everything. It's just, it's understanding like white supremacy, understanding where these biases come from, where the way that we think, the way that we do the hiring practices, everything, it has to do with this idea of whiteness. And, it, it, and if you look at it through um, domination, so it's just really like understanding like who holds power. And it's not like, white people it's it's whiteness as like a society structural thing that you know you alluded to um historically so understanding the um just our nation as a country where how it was created um is with this idea of whiteness um at the top and i think that's where when we start to understand that then we can start to recognize how the things that when we see people the bias is it's misinformation that we have, and that's what um, the author Robin DiAngelo, um, she's a uh, really great, by the way, recommender. And so she talks a lot about this um, whiteness and what we can do um, with the mis- misinformation that we have of people and start to break that down.
0: Andre and I were talking today about how many white people don't take African-American studies and how many men don't take, like, uh, women's studies and how backward that is, right? Like, think, oh, a women's studies class. I never would have thought of signing up for that in college. Just wouldn't have thought that was for me. But the power of education, (laughs) the power of knowing, like, Mm -hmm. I'm really convicted about that, like, wanting to be different, Um, Before we take some audience questions, I wanted to acknowledge Iris and Maria. Could I have you guys come up here real quick? Uh, There's a table out in the lobby as you guys walk out with the Girls Leadership Institute, which is right here in the Bay Area in Oakland, right? And Iris and Maria uh, lead this amazing program for girls, girl empowerment and education. And my daughter and my wife took it together. And so I want you to quickly just talk about it, 30 seconds, so people know what it is and how to get connected.
2: (laughs) Hi, I'm Iris. I'm Maria. Um, We're with Girls Leadership, and we equip girls with the skills to exercise the power of their voice, Um, from you saw from the movie today. We talk a lot at Girls Leadership about um, self-advocacy and um, being able to use your voice, and we have a summer program that's coming up um, in Mills College, and we have programs that are throughout the Bay Area, and Maria and I will be more than happy to talk more about what we do, and thank you so much for inviting us.
0: I mean, it's just super cool because moms and daughters can take these classes together. So if you have nieces or granddaughters, please, please consider it. My my daughter super loved it. My wife loved it. And I loved it. And I wish I could be a part of it. So thanks for being here, you guys. All right, questions. Questions for uh, Robin, Anna, and Andre. All the way in the back. Nice and loud. I'll repeat it. question is places, cities, countries that are less biased. Good question. Thank you.
1: So I ha- I haven't, you know had enough this this film came out about just about a year ago so i have screened it in places like sweden and i'm about to go to europe but i asked Mazaran banaji that question exactly and i said you know is there like the perfect world i mean if you were is it is it better in a cosmopolitan city versus say um you know some small town in ohio for example and she said no it's actually worse in in new york city and i said wait explain that to me that doesn't make any sense and she said, because what our brains do is we are more, we we can process all this information coming at us better if we categorize things. So somebody that lives in New York begins to categorize. Oh, you know, it's a deli; they must be run by Jewish people. And if you're Vietnamese? Does your family own a nail salon? And um, you know, I I buy my newspaper every morning from somebody from the Middle East. And so you begin to develop through this pattern these sort of associations and therefore you categorize that. Whereas somebody who grows up in a really sort of homogeneous society or town hasn't yet formed that. Now, everybody might be different and so there might be caution and sort of this feeling of I'm not as comfortable around different people. And if they watch a lot of television, they've probably formed their opinions. But Interestingly, they have less strong associations because they don't live around it every day. There aren't things that reinforce it all the time.
0: Thank you. Next question. How about right here? I just want to highlight, we do have students here from Carlmont, yes, Mm -hmm. and the Siena Youth Center. Let's see. Give it up. Make some noise if you're a student. (laughs) We got some Woodside students, I think, too, right? Yeah, Carl, thank you guys for being here, Siena Youth Center. Any thoughts on that, just regards to students? I actually
2: saw saw an article this morning on on the Medium from, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Um, Embrace Race is a, a coalition. And they wrote about how it's important to educate us as soon as... I mean, I have like a six-month-old, so you know, as, as, as early as that, just to start teaching them about um, how it's okay to to say, you know, that's a black person, that's an Asian person, to recognize their identity, to um, be okay with talking about race, and um, yeah, just as early as you know the the young people here today, as for them to to learn about these different things. It's so it's important so that we can stop being like so afraid. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's it's really frightening how. Soon and early, some of these perceptions um, become ingrained. Does anybody familiar with the Clark doll test? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, right? It was done in the 60s, I believe, where they put different colored dolls in front of kids. And these kids were between five and eight years old. And the kids were black. And some were black, some were white, all different races. But even both the white and the black kids, when they were asked, you know, point to the smart doll, they point to the white doll. And point to the mean doll, they would point to the Mm dark-skinned doll. So, I mean, these are young, young kids. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely shocking, you know, that that happens. And just to answer your question more directly, we did cut um, an educational version of this film that's supposed to work within, you know, it's 55 minutes within a classroom hour that's more geared toward middle school.
0: And I just want to highly recommend, if you work for a Bay Area company, uh, I know we do have Facebook here, and uh, guide, uh, Guidewire, and Stanford is here today. Thank you guys for being here. Robin would love to come to you and share this film, if any of you have those opportunities to bring this film to your companies. You for yeah, for sure. Uh, we have time for like maybe two more questions. Two more questions. Yeah, right there. Is the film available
1: generally on any platform? Not yet. Uh, yeah, not yet. So we just got off the film festival circuit. We might do one or two more film festivals. We've done, I think, 13 or 14 now. Um, I am. I do have it out there for sale. So was, as I said earlier, Netflix said no thank you. Amazon Prime said no thank you. Um, so I can get it up on Amazon but in terms of them calling it an original so anyway so I'm working on that but really I have a, a, a window of about a year to do as many you know corporate screenings and sort of what we call high price screenings um, as possible just to you know recoup some of the cost and and to um, make your next one yeah make the next one and also just keep the production team alive so um, that's what we're, we're working on for the next six to eight months but I feel this Great responsibility and sort of this tug between you know having to do what's right for business perspective, business sense, um, in terms of making money from the film and then also getting it out there to the public um, because we get we get emails every single day uh, saying, when can we see this film when you know this film should be available to everybody but you know
0: covered so many awesome. I mean from Abby Wambach, I mean to all the different ways. I just think like, there's such it's, it's great rough.
1: I'm going to get in trouble. Power okay, the people wait, over here. Here's what we can do. Everybody needs to get on their phone or go home and try to search for this film on Netflix. So search for like bias and then put Robin Hauser. Seriously, because they said no to my last film, which was Code Debugging the Gender Gap. And then they came and I screened that film at their... You know, world headquarters also. <laughs> and, and then they came back to me nine months later and said, we want to revisit putting it. Why? Because so many people got on and were Googling trying to look for it. So pretty funny.
0: We need that. That's a really important. A word of mouth for a filmmaker is super important. There, there's so much here about the art, but there's business as well. And so your word of mouth, you're sharing, you're taking pictures of this panel tonight and tweeting it. Super, super helps.
1: Just keep searching for it. <laughs>
0: All right, let's see. Uh any women want to ask any questions? How right, oh, right here. Yeah. Oh. So the re- so question would be as a talent recruiter, she's facing a lot of obstacles. It feels like you're having your own uh bias against you and your selections potentially. What would you recommend?
1: I mean, I honestly I, the the problem is if a company doesn't want to change the way they're doing things, if they don't care, if they don't then then they're not going to, right? Unless they know. I always try to throw facts at companies and say you know, things like, did you know that companies that have upper management with, you know, at least some women are more mm-hmm. profitable and those type of things. I always go back to you know, the money. Harvard Business Review, June 2011. Huh. Um, but, but I think that that's the, that's the problem. And so what I would recommend is to try to find a few allies. Whether they're women or men, try to find a few people that care about these issues as much as you do. And when they make a comment like that, exactly what you're saying. If they say, I don't want to hire her, she's too aggressive... Just say, well, boy, then I don't think any of these candidates work very well, right? Mm. I mean, just keep putting it back. And if none of them are listening, go up a step. Go up a level. You'll find somebody that that cares about this. Um, And I always, the last resort is, gee, I think that, you know, Glassdoor would hate to hear about this.
3: Mm. right.
0: Andre, can you share? Because uh, everyone who who got a ticket tonight, we will send an email out this week and we will include a link to the work of Andre in his, uh, it's called Hope and Hard Pills. Can you tell them about that, what that is real quick as we end?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So Hope and Hard Pills is an email list that I started in late December about anti-racism and social change. And what I've been doing the past gosh, I don't know, four or five years is just reading every book that I can about how ordinary people can work together to change their society, just back to back to back. And what I found is that people don't know largely the history that around the world, you know, of just people who got fed up, you know, in some job, in some organization or in some country and decided that they wanted to change things and they did it. So every every Saturday I send out a story, a thought, a, a blog, something that, you know, that I discovered and that or that I've been discovering that people don't know and then curated lists. So like your film would definitely be something that I would send in this in this email for people who want to learn about that kind of thing.
0: So if you want to be resourced, we will send that out. Would you give it up for Robin Hauser, director of bias film? Anna Avendano and Andre Henry, our advocates. They will be around afterwards. Um, I'll let you guys go your seat. Before you go, can I just take a few minutes? Uh, it's 9.11 right now. Here's, here's what I have for you. I have two different things. Uh, Samah, come on up here. Uh, as you guys uh, go, thank you so much. Let me tell you this, that we, Brave Maker wants to make a dent in Redwood City, in the Bay Area, when it comes to these type of conversations. We want to be curating films, bringing filmmakers, bringing advocates, bringing our partners together and talking about what is happening with diversity and inclusion through stories. Brave stories change the world, yes? And and we want to be that story. So if you have a company, if you have an, an individual interest in supporting what we're doing, there are these cards on your chairs Um, But you could take one and consider. Tonight, you could even give a donation if you wanted. If you give a donation tonight, you could get a a shirt or a mug as you leave. If you wanted to become a presenting sponsor, you could get all-access passes to our June 1st and 2nd Film Festival. Just go and see our table out there in the front. Or take the card and email me afterward. We need partners to continue to do this work. We're so excited for what's happening. And I want to introduce to you, Sama Damanhuri. She is a uh, a woman from Saudi Arabia who is going to be telling a story that Brave Maker is going to be partnering with. And I have her, for the next one minute, tell us what that story is all about. Okay.
4: So hi, everyone. My name is Samah, and I'm from Saudi Arabia. It took me a year and a half to cross the border because women cannot work, study, or travel without a male permission or a male companion. Um, After three months of my arrival, my father changed his mind, and he said, you know what, Uh, you got to come back home, get married, and then you can do whatever you want. I said no. I told him I want to stay here, finish my master's at Notre dame de Namur. He didn't like the idea, Um, so I was under the Saudi scholarship. So he called the Saudi embassy in Washington, and he canceled the scholarship, so he left me here with little to nothing. And then everyone just back home abandoned me, so um, I had to start my life from scratch, um, I, didn't, uh, I couldn't find a way to pay for my tuition. Um, I said goodbye to everyone at the university by the end of 2016, um, and I applied for asylum. By January 2017, people started to hear about my story. So 10 business owners paid the tuition at the university. Uh, Catholic Workers' House in Rideau City, they offered um, housing and food. Uh, Pitnam Buick, um, Bill Somerville, they donated a car. Powerhouse Gym, they offered free boxing classes to take the stress out.
0: <laughs> Yay, Powerhouse.
4: Oscar Romero Foundation, they paid for a lawyer and I got my green card. I became a public speaker, so I go to schools and companies to talk about my life story. Uh, I finished my master's in creative writing. Uh, one of my fictional stories, I did the LLC for it, and its uh, we're going to do a an 2D animation movie. Right now we're working on the short version. And once we're done with that, we're going to do a longer feature film comic book and a series and a video game out of the story. And we recently just got a physical sponsorship from Brave, Brave Maker. So uh, we're announcing that right now. <laughs> we're so excited. Um, we also signed a contract with the Rogue Mark Studio at Berkeley. So the actual animation right now is happening. Uh, I also started a VR project. Um, we're we're going to help refugees and people all over the world to like overcome traumas by building a, a model so they can like. Um, Oh, like, um, like a therapy way. And plus, I started a song, I called it Blackwater to support the Saudi woman movement. Thank you.
0: Awesome. So, Sama is part of the Brave Maker family. We want to continue to grow this movement. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for staying. Thanks for being here. Let's do this again. How about April 30th and March 13th? We'll see you guys. Go to bravemaker.com. Thank you so much.
4: BraveMaker is a 501c3 non organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you.
1: Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com.